Hey friends, you're listening to Go Home Baba, You're Drunk, an irreverent media podcast. First Corinthians warned you about the women with a loud mouth, and this podcast is just that. Here at the Speaking in Church podcast, we talk all about the regular people and the things that regularly happen to them in the evangelical church. It's a podcast about change, it's a podcast about seeking moral high ground, and it's a podcast for people who are just trying to deconstruct on the safe side. You can listen wherever you get your podcast, and if you want to be a guest, yes, you, regular person, you can be a guest on the Speaking in Church podcast. If you want to come on, just let us know. everyone welcome to go home bible you're drunk podcast where we read our bibles and discuss uh what we were taught in sunday school and compare that to uh what's actually in there so i'm tori and i grew up evangelical had bible every single year k through 12 it was great um (laughs) and yeah went to bible college dropped out memorized huge chunks of scripture and now I'm, I feel pretty comfortable calling myself an atheist. So that's, you know, that's how that works out when you try to stuff something down your kid's throat. You can't turn them into something that they aren't. This is free advice. I also have a, pod, a podcast co-host who is very awesome. Well, thank you. Uh, my <laughs> name is Justin. And I also had Christianity spoon fed to me, whether I would like it or not, uh, most of my life. And then, you know, as I grew up, it was all that I knew. So I just decided to make a career out of it. And I was a pastor for many years. And now I'm not. I'm comfortably agnostic. And I don't know if that's like, because I am agnostic, or I just don't want to say I'm an atheist. We've discussed this before. Mm -hmm. but Makes sense. I decided I'm just here for the representation. There needs to be more Black atheists. So this is my calling. That's completely fair. And I'm just, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> I think it, I think if I became an atheist, it would be more for like to raise awareness to the fact that atheists are marginalized in our society, and you know people can get fired for being an atheist, and that's not cool. So, that's not cool. Yeah. Um, so it would be more like for that reason to stand in solidarity with people, and also okay. to, you know to be like a, a cool atheist, not an asshole atheist. Um, also, yes, we do very need more, important work. We need more cool atheists. We need more cool atheists and we need more black atheists. So that would be the reason why I would become an atheist. Get on that, people. If you're listening, yeah. This is our recruitment. Yeah. Dad. If you're cool or you're black, or if you're cool and black, like and Tori, black. Wow. Uh, um, <laughs> you should be an atheist. <laughs> Highly recommend. So um so this is our podcast, Go Home Bible, yeah. You're Drunk, where, yeah, we talk about the Bible and Christian culture and all the things. This week is going to be a little bit different because we don't have a specific Bible verse necessarily, but we're talking we'll be, about the culture, the culture. Yes. Christian lifestyle culture. Lifestyle choices. We're leaning more into the Christian lifestyle and also the way that Christian lifestyle is kind of everyone's lifestyle, whether they want it or not in this mm. country in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. something that happened over Christmas. Uh, so this has been a couple weeks ago. It wasn't a big news story, but I found it interesting just because it highlights this default assumption that everyone's Christian. And also it has to do with mm-hmm. space. So it really right What's up my alley. Love. Yeah, really right up my alley. So NASA has funded a grant for the... I'm going to mess it up. It's uh, out of Princeton. It's out of their, you know, their division of religion and philosophy or whatever. I think it's the, it's like a theological think tank, basically the uh, center for theological inquiry. And they wanted to basically pose the question, uh, how would the world's religions react to the knowledge that we were not alone, that there were extraterrestrials out there wanting to essentially fund a grant to have this done, to basically pay theologians to think 
theologically as they do. What I found most interesting, and this was a critique that was brought up in religion dispatches, is that almost all of these theologians were Christians, were Christian theologians or Christian adjacent. I think all of them were Christian adjacent in some way. Most were, you know, had some kind of degree in theology. So this kind of default assumption, you know, yeah, of the 24 scholars, at least 18 work for a Christian institution, have at least one degree in Christian theology or both. None of the 24 seem to have a professional role in a non-Christian tradition. So, I mean, it'd be fine if the research grant was to figure out what Christians think. <laughs> but when you're trying to like bring in world religions and the only people at the table are Christians, that's a problem. It's kind of like how when you try to start a country and the only people at the table are white men, mm-hmm. also a problem. This, whatever this is, comes out. <laughs> this is what you get. This is what you get. So yeah. Just I, your, man, I mean, like, so we were sometimes allowed to watch Star Trek. So I'm obviously like a really, really big nerd. I didn't see Star Wars until a lot later because my mom thought that Yoda was a demon. so fuck knows and so yeah like my dad's always always been really into astronomy and you know hilariously enough like I wasn't I you know my parents were functionally like old earth creationists they're like yeah no the universe is 13 billion years old like that's what it is Mm -hmm. but I have always been really really hopeful that there'd be some kind of confirmation of someone else out there However, you know, and mainly just to like fuck with my parents' theology because <laughs> mm-hmm. I want them to have that existential crisis. Yeah. That's, that's, that's my main reason. I mean, obviously, I think on a personal level, it would be very cool. I don't understand NASA using tax dollars to ask questions about world religions of Christians, of white American Christians, white Western Christians primarily. That's weird. Don't love that. It feels a bit PR-y to me. Mm. PR-ish. Like, mm-hmm. like throwing a bone to... It's like Space Force. Yeah, yeah, a Why little bit. Why the fuck are we doing this? Why is this thing a thing? Why does this exist? I do think that, like, you know, if you'd asked me five years ago, I would have said, oh, yeah, like, evangelical Christians are really going to have to wrestle with this. And now I'm like, nope, they would just turn that shit off. They'd be like, this is fake news. Mm-hmm. We don't believe this. They're just trying to make your children gay or whatever. And gay, gay space communism. <laughs> well, come on. Which is Star Trek. <laughs> but but we love that. This is like our goal. This yes. is what we aspire to as a species. Star Trek um, <laughs> future is the future I'm rooting for. Truly. And what's curious about this to me, right, is that evangelicals specifically, but Christians like all Christians, like Christianity is fundamentally like a rejection of the things that you can see in favor of this narrative about like the eternal, right? These things that cannot be seen or measured or experienced. And so I, you know, it's really, really interesting to me. It's like, this could truly be like the inverse also where there's no proof of it. And they've all, they will all just decide one day because their guy says that it's a thing. Like, Mm -hmm. yeah, there are aliens here, right? The Queen of England is clearly a lizard person. A lizard, yeah. So, (laughs) um, I feel it's I. It feels really scary now to like put any kind of serious question forward, and and asking like, especially what white evangelicals would do. I think like mainline people would be pretty fucking cool about it. They'd have some cool discussions. Yeah. I don't know. I don't really feel like qualified to to speak for other religions in terms of like how they would respond, but I'm pretty sure most of them would respond better than white evangelicals well. I would agree. And you know, this think tank won't come up with those answers either because <laughs> it's there's no one is on the panel. 24 theologians and you couldn't get anyone else other than Christians. Feels like you weren't trying, guy. Really feels like you weren't trying. Like I could post on Reddit and, and asking for <laughs> theologians, and I'm sure I could find some qualified people that would True. love to receive some grant money. You would also get a much more diverse group of people. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I, you know, it's it's interesting. I, I've thought about this as a kid 
even mm-hmm. what how would this interact with my faith and how I would I respond I grew up in Dayton Ohio which is right near Wright Patterson Air Force Base which was kind of an urban legend there was you know a hangar that supposedly had UFOs in it and and so like just UFO lore is it lore conspiracy theories I don't know we're, we're just a big part of you know my life yeah. growing up and the x-files and all that and so you know I was definitely thinking about it as a kid and mm-hmm. so you know like would they have an equivalent of Jesus you know that would be interesting mm. You jumped way ahead here. Yeah. Like, like we're having conversations with these folks. Like, okay. Yeah. And, but this is me as a kid. Now I'm like any species that can create the energy required to travel to other solar systems is functionally atheist and functionally communist. I'm guessing probably maybe Buddhist or something like that. You know, I, I, fair. Yeah. Yeah. I have a feeling that the, the imperial religions that are used for colonization aren't going to get you off your planet that energy could be better spent not murdering people and committing genocide yeah and (laughs) and if the kind of colonizer religion could get you off of your planet those are not the aliens we want to meet oh not at all nope so yeah i think yeah stephen hawking the late stephen hawking was wise to say maybe we should be quiet And not be sending radio (laughs) waves out into space. Oh, man. Yeah, be careful what you wish for, I guess. It's really funny because it's like, could it be worse than what we already have? And it's like, oh, actually, yeah, it could. It could be much worse than what we've already got. Yeah, That's impressive. But yeah, I I do think you're right in that, at least initially, if, if it was a discovery like, you know, the James Webb telescope finds a Dyson sphere or something, and it's confirmed as not something that's natural Mm -hmm. i think most evangelicals would just be like that's fake news they're just trying to get you to doubt the lord and i even think even if there was some kind of first contact or something Mm -hmm. i i gotta think that at least for a few weeks they'd be like fake not real give us your money yeah i'm gonna campaign to not this be like don't look up in in a weird Uh way yeah it's you just need to come to church turn off your whatever they can't say turn off your phones because that's where they get all of the conspiracy theories from. So how would they control their people if they made everybody stop watching Facebook? Yeah, I don't I don't know. Questions. I, I do think it's interesting that I, I don't know that Christian theology, I can speak to that, really has a place for mm. sentient extraterrestrials. I was reading some of the initial kind of writings. There's a guy, uh, the Reverend Doctor, I want to get his name right. Andrew Davidson or Davison, sorry. He's writing a book that's coming out called Astrobiology and Christian Doctrine. And he's he's talking about like multiple creations and multiple, you know, incarnations of Christ or something. I'm like, that's a nice idea. But yeah, if they come here and they're like, we don't have anything equivalent to Jesus in our culture. I feel like that would just that maybe I don't know, maybe they would want to evangelize the aliens. I don't know. I just I I don't see most of Christian theology having any amount of room for extraterrestrials that's so funny because my initial thought was like aliens show up and they're like yeah we don't have any kind of equivalent to jesus or religion or spirituality what have you because they weren't evangelized and it's like oh yeah jesus jesus never made it over there and it's like clearly god has favorites and then it was like his fate and his favorites are the ones that he doesn't talk to (laughs) (laughs) it's like i'm gonna leave you alone it's like oh sweet this is we might be able to get something done here yeah like that's why we advanced to the point where we can go other places it's (laughs) because jesus wasn't here (laughs) so you can keep that and we're going we're going to go somewhere else i'm into it (laughs) it would be i mean just just this is all completely speculatory and off the rails i think any kind of spirituality embraced by beings not from this planet would be fascinating to learn about. Of course, yeah. Personally, I think that we're much more likely to find bacteria in our solar system <laughs> long before someone visits us. But fair. That's, that's fair. just me. So yeah, in a few years, there will be a, probably a big paper and many books written about the Christian perspective on what might happen if we <laughs> maybe run into extraterrestrials and NASA paid for it. 
what might happen if we maybe yeah I'm like that's that's yeah we've got to qualify that several times over <laughs> but yeah, yeah this is if you live in the U.S. this is what your tax dollars are paying for that's cool yeah, yeah. and it stinks that it's NASA too because I I want NASA to be funded you know right that's true it's like oh. clearly someone over there has some kind of agenda and should yeah. maybe be fired I don't know that or they're just like, we need conservatives to fund us. So we'll (laughs) say we're funding the Lord's work. Yeah. This is like, yeah, this is like, we're just going to throw them a bone and hopefully they'll, yeah, I don't know. Who knows? Yeah. Who can say? So we're going to take a quick break for an ad and then we're going to come back with a new segment, the tweet of the week, as well as our topic for today. So uh, stick around through the ad and yeah. We'll see yeah. you in a bit. First Corinthians warned you about the women with a loud mouth, and this podcast is just that. Here at the Speaking in Church podcast, we talk all about the regular people and the things that regularly happen to them in the evangelical church. It's a podcast about change. It's a podcast about seeking moral high ground. And it's a podcast for people who are just trying to deconstruct on the safe side. You can listen wherever you get your podcast, And if you want to be a guest, yes, you, regular person, you can be a guest on the Speaking in Church podcast. If you want to come on, just let us know. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to that lovely ad. I hope it enriched your life and made you smile. We're going to start a new segment this week called The Tweet of the Week. Uh, If we remember to do it in later weeks, it will become a thing. If not, this might be the only tweet of the week. Uh, What we wanted to do is we wanted we wanted to highlight tweets that made us think or were interesting to us or were, you know, just things we just kind of wanted to highlight. Uh, We we had thought about very briefly making this tweet of the week something that was like, oh, here's something crazy John Piper said or whatever. But then we realized that we would actually have to follow John Piper in order to find these tweets and we're just not about that life like someone problematic you don't need to follow them the people on our tweet of the week will be good folks that we like so tori yes. has our tweet of the week this week oh okay yeah cool. or i can read yeah, you can read no it's you no i didn't re- i didn't realize that i thought we were both gonna bring one so oh, oh, i feel very both. honored oh i um, thought i thought you were bringing the tweet of the week the tweet of the week no this is oh. actually really really good though i like it it's from aria asks at aria asks on twitter obviously why did i say on twitter it's a tweet and they go christian fundamentalism fundamentalism is like a program running in the background of your mind all the time hogging all the ram all the other programs are slowed down or even frozen because of it. And mm-hmm. I was just like truly deeply hurt on a spiritual level by how accurate that tweet was. <laughs> it, it was an assault. But... It was, it was, it was just, it was too, it was too soon. <laughs> I haven't been out long enough for that shit. But it, 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 I feel very seen by that though. Yes. Very seen. it is definitely a it is like a program that just runs in the background like norton antivirus or something just Mm. hogging up all the stuff yep and not really serving a purpose but it's it's just there even after i've left i will find myself like a news story comes up i will have my reaction to it and then i will think to myself oh this is how evangelicals will react to this (laughs) and it's like i don't i don't need that brain cells were spent to formulate this response and yeah unnecessary so, so we we hope you feel seen by that i will bring a tweet of the week if okay I, just on the spot this one just came to me because i i also felt seen by it and this was this was by our our pope blake justine oh yes and this was him he was making fun of i'm not gonna sing it i'm just gonna read it he says i'm trading my sorrows i'm trading my shame i'm laying them down for the iterative ups and downs of personal growth and learning new coping skills instead of depending on some vague emotional appeal to the impossible promise of the joy of the Lord. <laughs> nice. It's so good. And I, it's like, so Blake, but it's also, that is a very much the, I think the journey a lot of us are on is mm-hmm. realizing just like giving it to God doesn't work. Just give it to God, Justin. <laughs> yes. Oh God. That was, 
God, that was a blast from the past. Um, yeah, like giving it to the Lord or just like claiming the joy of the Lord doesn't work, but like doing the work and learning how to be okay with ups and downs and bad brain days or whatever, because that's yeah. that's life. That's life. And the program we were given that takes up way too much space in our brains doesn't. It's not life-giving. doesn't give you life skills. It's not. It doesn't bring joy, interestingly enough. The joy of the Lord is... Kind of a son of a bitch most of the time. <laughs> yep. Yep. I don't know if you got this, Tori, but there were so many sermons I heard about the difference between happiness and joy. Oh, yes. Yes. I heard that nonsense. And, you know, how the world has happiness, um, but we have joy. Don't let that deceive you. <laughs> yeah. Don't let, don't let those happy people deceive you. We have joy, true joy from the true Lord. <laughs> trademark like so don't have sex yeah so whatever you do don't have sex (laughs) (laughs) we have true joy so we have true joy so we in my school so this is also a tangent but talking about joy and i don't even know if this is true but we had a chinese exchange student in my high school i went to a private christian school and you know we would have chapel once a week and he this is actually this song the trading my sorrows laying down for the joy of the lord he would just laugh uproariously during this song and we're like what's going on and apparently the word joy in chinese is slang maybe for a dick so when we were singing about the joy of the lord he would just laugh quite a bit i'm okay yeah Yeah. um (laughs) i would too frankly yeah so if I went to this strange country and they're just like laying their sorrows for the joy of the Lord um, <laughs> like, well, and then singing, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, yes, Lord. Um, we might have would, to do an episode on worship songs because they're so bad. Yeah, they're so bad. Prom that's, songs yeah. to Jesus is what I used to call them. <laughs> oh, so, Lord. Yeah, that, was oh, that's, whew, that poor child. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure he was and still is an atheist. So excellent choice. Yeah. Seeing that nonsense on the weekly. Oh God. Yeah. Yeah. For real. Okay. So what are you talking about? Uh, for a drinking game this week. Yeah. So we're, we're going to be talking about sex and sexual ethics and purity culture and whatnot. And I, you know, yeah, I would say, I would say in the, in the spirit of evangelicals saying things like we don't get happiness, we get joy. I would say any time we talk about something that evangelicals or Christians say like is better, quote unquote, that goes totally against your biology and your intuition, you could just go ahead and take a drink because just get that stuff out of your system. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, because yeah, Christian sexuality is a trip. It is. And this will not be the only time. This is not a comprehensive podcast at all. We will revisit this, but we just kind of wanted to break the ice a little bit in the new year uh, by talking about abortion and sex. Yeah, you guys. Last week, last week was abortion. So excited about this. Yes. <laughs> oh shit. Okay. Well, um, I have so many thoughts. I don't even know where. I mean, I vaguely know where to start. Mm-hmm. But I think that like, yeah, like we grew up in purity culture yeah. and right. So it's this idea of like being as disconnected from your body, being as disembodied as you can, because you are not supposed to have sex until mm-hmm. you are in a cishet monogamous white marriage. <laughs> yeah. And then you can have all the sex you want and it's going to be so great because you have nothing to compare it to was the line that mm-hmm. I got. Yeah. And so there's this the sexual ethic within evangelicalism largely comes from scripture. And the sexual ethic in scripture is largely problematic. Yes. And I do not use that term lightly. Like people's autonomy is not respected sexually in the Bible at all. No. And I mean, I guess I should say like women's autonomy. You know, and I, I don't I don't even know that I could necessarily speak for like non-binary or intersex people in in that context because they're mentioned so infrequently in scripture. But yeah, the the thing about the thing about sex that's really interesting is that much like much like they say that the Bible is pro-life and it is demonstrably not pro-life, they also say that the Bible 
supports the idea of a nuclear family, which no. no. So <laughs> I think that like, it's, it's so bizarre because all of this really, it's, it's political. Right. And I think that that's really truly what it comes down to is like, it's a, it's a political kind of shaping of culture, right. For specific capitalist outcomes. Mm-hmm. And so I think that they took they being like white evangelicals today who promote purity culture. And there's still a lot of them, which is just wild to me. Anyway, I think that they took what was in scripture, which is not necessarily even an accurate representation of what was occurring in the ancient Near East 3000 years ago, because Mm -hmm. stuff gets lost in translation. And they had ideas that we don't have. And, you know, we have technology that they wouldn't have been able to dream up. And there's all of these kind of like missed, <laughs> missed connections, I guess. So they're just taking what they want from this book. Tori, it seems like you're saying that the sexual ethics of people that didn't have sex 2000 years ago are not what we should be basing our sexual ethics on. <laughs> I just want to be clear here. Uh, just to be clear. Well, I don't know. I'm like, I'm yeah. speaking strictly to like a literal interpretation of the Bible in the English language in 2022. Do not use the Bible in that context to get any kind of sexual ethic because it is all abusive. Like there is no consent involved. There just isn't. And and it's also vague enough. You know, a lot of Paul's writings are like avoid sexual immorality. So you can kind of fill whatever you want into that. And, you know, there's plenty of people that could make educated guesses this is exactly what he meant by sexual immorality. But, and you know, and there's also some passage, I think it's in Titus, you know, that's, you know, be, you know, an elder should be a husband of one wife. So like, I, I, I see where that ethic is. You can make it say that in bits and pieces, but you really have to avoid most of the, you know, Old Testament, most of the Torah. Um, really even like the new Testament, cause a lot of the heroes of the new Testament were single men, celibate mm. men. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they're not family men. And, you know, when we had Brad Onishian, he had the excellent point of really the only clearly nuclear family in the Bible was Job and God murdered all of them. Cause he's pro-life. You cause guys. he's pro-life. So he murdered people's children. Oh, no. God allowed them to be murdered. Sorry. I'm sorry. It's like, <laughs> did you shoot your child? No, I just stepped aside so that this other clown could shoot yeah. them. Like, this, really? This <laughs> other guy asked to shoot them, and I chose I was not like, to eh, stop them. Whatever. If you're not busy, so, I guess. Yeah, your excuses for God are very thin. <laughs> like, yeah, so, you know, and I think purity culture when I try to define that as, you know, the idea of remaining sexually pure and that, that idea being that you just don't have sex until mm-hmm. your wedding day. And then you, you know, offer that to your husband or your wife. And as an idea, it's not a terrible idea, but the execution really in, in many ways boiled down to like sex is nasty and wrong and terrible and your desires are terrible. So mm-hmm. save that for someone you love. And it, once you've made a commitment to them forever and based on the divorce rates and the, even not the, the divorce rates, but the rates of people that are not happy in their marriages, that has not worked out. And, I, and not, I'm not even going to say divorce is a failure. I'm just going to say that construct, which said, if you do these things, you will have a marriage that lasts forever is fundamentally flawed based on the outcomes. Yes. And I think that it also, we end up in a situation where even if we failed at that construct, we still don't know how to create our own, a healthy sexual ethic because the ethic that was handed to us was this purity culture ethic. You know, men are ravening sex machines if they see a woman's shoulder. So she's got to cover up and sex is only good in this one particular context and it didn't work out for you. So I guess you're dirty and awful. Like, so there's, mm-hmm. there's just not, there's not a lot of foundation to build anything healthy out of that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What were you taught about 
about purity culture, like junior high, high school, college in terms of, cause I remember, I, I assume you probably asked some good questions then. Um, I definitely remember asking like, okay, if everybody's supposed to be a virgin until they're married, like, why is that not the case for anybody in the Bible? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I also remember, you know, there was this thing at my church, they would talk about the difference between, you know, there's always like these differences, the difference between courting and dating. I don't know if you uh, get that, you know, uh-huh. you know, dating yeah. is like just for fun and it's casual and, you know, courting is like, I am only, in, I'm only engaging in romantic relationships. If I think this is a person I could marry, you know, I remember being like dating sounds like a lot more fun than courting. And I, I remember just being like, this just sounds like even the word courting, like if I walked up to a girl and said, I want to court you, <laughs> like, like I didn't get yeses from girls much, but like my percentages <laughs> would have gone way down. And yeah, so we got that. And, you know, I, I, I did get sucked into purity culture quite a bit. Um, mm-hmm. I was you know, I was asked to give talks at my college to, which is like, looking back, it's ridiculous. I was asked to give talks to the girls dorms, you know, like basically giving what? them like a, like a little sermon or devotional on the male perspective on their bodies, you wow. know, essentially like, wow. Um, and like, I don't even remember what I said, but I just remember being like, like, and you know, this is like, okay, you're asking me to do this. Like, and I need sermon experience sure but it was just like yeah basically give them a sermon on you know being modest and it'd be better coming from you a guy because you know you can teach you can be vulnerable with them about what their bodies do to you whatever (laughs) i don't know like like yeah i it's and even then i i think i'm trying i wish i had my notes like i threw away almost everything oh that's fair yeah that's valid you know basically like probably encourage them some john eldridge nonsense of like you know women should be mysterious or something which is Mm. a hop skip and a jump away from like burkas honestly (laughs) like (laughs) you know like you know like you really all of these fundamental religions i think end up with that if you take them to their logical extent and you know, no offense to any Muslim listeners that wear hijab and they want to wear that. That's fine. But, you know, I'm just talking about. I think more. we're specifically talking about coercion. Yeah, coercion. Of people with female Coercion bodies. to cover up. Is, just want to make that clear. So, yeah, I, it's that was kind of my experience. And I think being a man in that context where it's really nothing is your fault. It, I don't think it hit me as hard as maybe it did other people. Certainly people that are queer. And certainly, you know, people that obviously women and anyone that did not fit the standard, um, that was bad. And it was bad for me too. I'm not saying it was bad, but I just, I, I did not really recognize that. I recognized most of the damage of purity culture in what it did to other people long before I realized the damage of what it did to myself. Okay. Because it was like, oh, wow. I see. Wow. If you were taught that and you were gay like, wow, that would be awful. Or, oh, wow, if you're a woman and you were taught to cover up because men can't control themselves, that's awful. It wasn't really until much later in my deconstruction process that I was like, oh, I was taught that. And maybe my ideas of sexuality are not great, even if I wasn't actively traumatized by purity culture in the same way. Mm, Makes sense. I was always just very I mean, I really sincerely wanted answers about like why you're making us do this thing that's not it's absolutely not clearly laid out in scripture, even if you try to like piece, like stitch something together. And I was, I was always just like, why is this, why is this not a thing? That's just very clear in the Bible. Don't, don't do this thing. You really have to kind of like infer from the law because the actual stories in scripture are not of people who did anything remotely close to remaining virgins until they were married And honestly, I remember one of the answers that I got was, well, it was obvious. It goes without saying. It's really, really, really interesting to me that like, well, it was obvious was some kind of an answer because like, it only seems obvious because of the way that you use scripture as a construct to like cement your own power structure. There are so many different configurations of relationships 
and, and passing down like whatever kind of inheritance or land or what have you that like, it was obvious is not like, that's not valid. That's not a valid argument because it just, there, there are so many different ways of being in like sexual relationships. There's so many different ways of being in marriages and like, oh, you can just figure it out. It's like, that's, I'm, that's not good enough. That is not a good enough answer. Right. Mm-hmm. It's like, you can see all the bad things that happened to people who had multiple wives or, you know, whatever the situation was like David and Solomon specifically. Yeah. that That's what I was taught and was that anytime like how bad someone, that turned out. Any, anyone, anytime someone had multiple wives, it was always a, you know, juggling contest and it was always, they were always at each other's throat. And so that's, it, it, it infers that it's bad based on what happens, you know, or, or I was told like the 10 commandments don't commit adultery. That means don't have sex with anyone, not your spouse. So that knocks out premarital sex. Now, if you understand anything about Hebrew or just the context, like you, it, once I, once I hit seminary, it was like, mm, yeah, this, this don't fly. Um, <laughs> but to the average person sitting in the pews, who's trusted religious professional gives them that answer. Many people are not going to dig much further because I got the answer and, and not until later. And they realize that oh, this doesn't work. It does not no. weird, weird that there's still like, there's still like so many places that I want to go with this because there's so many different facets and ways that it like plays out in people's lives. I was always really, really bad at being modest. I was really bad at being celibate. I remember one time I was like, I was like, I was probably like 23 or so. And I sent all my friends, I was just sitting alone in my apartment and I sent all my friends, a text message. And this was before it was like group messages. So I sent one text, but, and I was able to send it to like a bunch of people simultaneously Mm -hmm. without creating a group. And it said, I'm sitting on the floor eating curry and I haven't had sex in 18 months. And it was basically like a Jeb Bush, please clap doc. If (laughs) (laughs) yeah. So uh, like it was, it was, that was not, that was rough for me. Like I didn't, I was not successful in not having sex. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I was also not terribly successful in feeling bad, feeling guilty for having sex. So, you know, there was, I feel like there was a lot of evangelicalism that just didn't really stick very well. And that was like guilt was, was one of those things. Right. You know, I remember, I remember people like when I was a child, women, um, in the church, like if they found out that their husband was viewing pornography or whatever, they would just be completely devastated and they'd be like, Oh my God, like, what am I supposed to do? Like, I think I'm going to get a divorce. And I'm just like, what the fuck is wrong with you people? And I'm like 12. Mm -hmm. I'm like, he was watching a movie, pull yourself together. (laughs) This is not a reason to divorce someone you actually love. (laughs) Yeah. The, the lack of guilt, um, for me, you know, I was a, I was a very not confident teenager and young man. So dates and relationships with lady friends were very much lacking, but, and also being purity culture too. It's like everyone around me is totally steeped in purity culture. I have no friends that aren't Christians. Opportunity is not as available to me, but pornography and masturbation and all the other things didn't really feel guilty. Like I would feel guilty if it was like pornography that was very exploitive, but it was because oh, it yeah. was exploitive. Like, right, oh, I don't want right. to see that. I just want to like mm-hmm. see naked ladies because I like the way they look. Not right, like right. I don't want to see them <laughs> being like, I don't want to see weird things done to them. Right. Um, you know, I, I, this is like, we're getting into porn, but like, I, I remember as a kid, like thinking maybe I was gay because I preferred lesbian porn because oh, they seemed so to be cute. enjoying themselves. Like, Oh no. Like that was I, like, know. I was I like, know. I preferred to, I preferred to view lesbian porn. Not cause like, it was like one, it was like, I know I don't have to worry about a dude being there. And two, it was like, <laughs> they both seem to be enjoying themselves. Whereas traditional porn, quote unquote, the, the lady did not seem to be enjoying herself to me at the time. So, Mm -hmm. so, but like, 
yeah, I didn't feel a lot of guilt in, you know, seeking sexuality where I could find it simply because Mm -hmm. like, I think that's relatively normal. And, you know, I would feel guilty in the sense of like, if people find out there would be a fear of that. But I think there's a difference between a fear and like guilt, like Mm -hmm. guilt where it's like, I know I engaged in something wrong and fear in the sense of the people, my tribe or my group of people, my, you know, the not tribe. I don't know why I said that the group of close people around me, they will, they will reject me if they find out this thing about me, you know? Oh, okay. So like, so there's definitely fear. And I think that sometimes gets associated with guilt in evangelicalism, mm-hmm. but like fear of being rejected is like, Oh, that's guilt. Like, I don't think that's guilt actually. Yeah. That's emotional manipulation. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's what that is. <laughs> that's trauma. So yeah, I, I remember not feeling that. And also the comparison piece, like, Oh, you know, if you save yourself for marriage, you won't have anyone to compare to like nobody makes it. I, I don't say nobody. 90% of people don't make it to their wedding night without having viewed some amount of porn or some amount of sexual material to compare their spouse to. And, and again, I've never actually done that. Like I, there's never been a time where I've been like, Oh, well, you know, I see, I saw this porn and you know, it just that the whole like fear of comparison, while it can be there in certain relationships, I feel mm. like that is way overblown um, yeah. in order to sell a, a, the product. And most people that I know that is that is not near the issue that evangelicals made it out to be oh yeah no no it is not that's that's yeah I'm like ethical porn I'm very here for that yeah and that usually means paying for your porn I'm pretty sure I've said on here before but like if you're not paying for it like someone didn't get paid yeah and it may have been someone who was actually doing labor like like work so you know, just keep that in mind. There, there are really cool places now to get like really ethical porn, if that's something that you're into. And yeah, I'm like, I don't particularly find porn interesting. I don't remember. What was it? What were we talking about? Oh yeah. There was, there's this atheist uh, podcast and I cannot, I think it's, I think it's atheist or the Bible, but they tweeted something out about porn and like porn being bad. It was, it was some kind of a question. And I was like, porn like, I don't hate porn. I hate clowns and I don't want to watch clowns fucking. And I don't care if you don't have a red nose on your face, like porn is clowns fucking Mm -hmm. and uh, like traditional porn, right? Like obviously now there's a bunch of very cool new shit that is not that, but like, if you're trying to tell a story about like the mailman, like give me a fucking break. I do not want to watch this. Yeah. There's like, (laughs) there is so much of it that, yeah. And I think that's why it, like, well, obviously I, I viewed porn. Uh, I, it was not my primary driver in a lot of ways. I think because it was like, yeah, this is weird. Like, I'm not here for this weird story. Like, what is happening like, right now? Like, Well, and I do think that because we have such a weird sexual ethic in evangelicalism, you know, I think people learn about sex from porn now. Mm. And it's like, oh, wow, this person, you know, the pizza man showed up. Like no. maybe they're ready to have sex. Like, no, the probably, I mean, probably not. Like they probably just, I mean, maybe you never know. You but... don't know until you ask, I guess, but that's chances true. Are that's weird. You probably, yeah. That probably isn't super respectful if someone's on the clock. Yeah. They're on the clock. I got more pizzas to do. I, I appreciate the offer. Thank you. But, right. Um, I don't, I don't know what situation this is. Like, <laughs> Yeah, so it's it's just like you get this very weird like view of sexuality, and yeah, there is the exploitation piece too. The and it is interesting to me that when you look at areas that are more conservative and much more restrictive in their mm-hmm. sexuality, the types of porn people use view the amount uh-huh. of porn people view is yeah. exponentially greater. And, and I would say too, like when I was in the midst of purity culture, my desire to see pornography and was much greater than when I got out and was like, oh, sex isn't that big a deal. I, these, yeah, these people are clowns. <laughs> right. This is not interesting. Um, <laughs> all that to say, I think purity culture very, very much warps your views. And, mm. and you know, anyone listening to this knows that. I, I'm wondering how though, I think, 
people are pretty good now at figuring out like, okay, purity culture messed me up. Purity culture doesn't work or, you know, all of the things that purity culture told me to be afraid of didn't pan out. How though do you start building an eth- a healthy sexual ethic outside of that? Yeah, that, that can be a really big transition for folks. Mm-hmm. I, I guess I do want to be careful just because it, like that wasn't necessarily my experience, right? Within purity culture, you are not taught the concept of consent at all, mm-hmm. right? So that's kind of where you have to start is like, is this a consensual sexual interaction or is this is someone being exploited in some way, someone being pressured? You know, the number of the number of films that have been made in this country that at some point show a dude pressuring a woman to have sex with him and she's saying no 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 and she finally gives in and Mm -hmm. that's like and then they're on top of that like the meta like there are jokes about the guys are like oh you know she's just saying no because she's supposed to do that and you have to just keep asking until she says yes yeah right like locker room talk or whatever the fuck and right so there's there's just there's no concept there's no construct there's no framework (laughs) for consent so that's like Mm -hmm. that's the first thing that you have to do i think that once you have that concept kind of down when you can when you can view all sexual encounters through that lens i think it's a lot easier than to figure out like like what your sexual ethic is like what you're comfortable with right and you know not everybody is going to be comfortable with the same things that's totally fine. Like there's, there's not like a right or wrong answer as long as everybody is like participating joyfully, (laughs) happily. Sorry. We don't have joy in this. We have have no more joy. (laughs) We have no more joy. The joy has been canceled. Joy's canceled. We're just happy. Your subscription has run out. (laughs) (laughs) Your subscription to the joy of the Lord has run out. Like that card was declined, sweetie. Yeah. And I think that it's really, it's, it's wild for me as someone who like, I didn't really, I didn't really think, I don't want to say I didn't really think a lot about sex, but it was just kind of, I guess I just never viewed it as like the hugest deal. Right. And so when, when I figured out like, oh, consent, like, oh, that's the thing that's been missing Mm -hmm. from all of this. Right. And then like, you know, after, after that going like, oh, well, I guess like, I've, I guess I've always sort of known that I'm not straight or I'm at least like attracted to women as much as men and like gender and sex, like have no real bearing on like whether or not I'm sexually attracted to a person. Like, I don't really care what's in your pants. That was something that really like, that was only something that I could figure out once I got out of that space. Right. Because up to that point, all I had was like, oh, I'm very sexually attracted to women. Right. And I know that, and that's wrong. So we're just not going to do anything about that. I'll just have sex with dudes (laughs) and uh, we're just going to call it good. Right. And, you know, so that's like, that's, that's legitimately what I did. Like I didn't, I think the the first time I had sex with uh, someone who was not a man, I was like 34 or 33, 34 you know, and, and like figuring out what you like sexually. Like, that's the thing that I didn't do. Like I was having sex, but I was not, I was not figuring out like what I actually enjoyed, which is actually a big fucking deal. Yeah. And so that was like, that was really interesting. Like it was not, I I was, it took me a while after I kind of was like, okay, I'm leaving. Like I'm leaving evangelicalism. I'm leaving purity culture. Like that. I don't believe in this. I don't even think that I'm capable of being monogamous, frankly. And I'm just like having all of these realizations kind of at the same time. Yeah, it, it's, I had to, I like, I sincerely had to figure out what I enjoyed because I didn't know, right? I, like my, my version of purity culture was like, well, I'm just not going to think about like what would feel good, right? Like if I have sex, like sex feels good, that's cool, whatever. But like, other than that, like, I'm not going to like experiment with anything. I'm not even going to think about it. Like if I get to have sex, that's cool. If I don't, I don't. Yeah. Pleasure is not like at the front and center or exploration. It wasn't, it wasn't. Well, see, that's, or... that is one way that purity culture really did get to me was my, my thought process of like, oh, my pleasure doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Right. 
if, if you are not a person with a penis, like your, your pleasure is kind of irrelevant in that context. And, uh, you know, on top of like, that was something I was explicitly told, right. I was, I mean, I was told all kinds of garbage things. Like, uh, if you're a woman, literally verbatim, if you're a woman, you can either enjoy sex before you get married or after, but not both is something that I was told. So it's like, well, if you have sex before you get married, you're just going to be miserable. And I'm like, in retrospect, I'm like, oh, you were telling on yourself. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, like that, that sounds rough. Like, I'm very sorry for you. Yeah, I got one guess for which one you chose. <laughs> <laughs> yes. There's just, there's there. I mean, again, like there's so much there and like figuring out like, oh, these are, these are things that I enjoy. These are things I've always known about myself. And like, now I actually want to figure this out and like experiment. And I don't, I don't know, maybe, maybe it's more fun if you're like in your teens and twenties, like I hope that my kids have a much more consensual, like, Mm -hmm. and sex positive experience than I did, you know? And, and, and I like, we're like a very body positive, sex positive household. Right. And, and so this is something that I'm trying to encourage my kids. Meanwhile, like I've learned this since they were born, (laughs) Like since I yeah. gave birth to them is when I have figured this shit out. Yeah, that 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 is a <laughs> that's like a whole. I, th- I think we should probably do an episode on like parenting and deconstruction because yeah. it's like my kids were born, and then my faith kind of fell apart. Yeah. So like switching up the parenting style, <laughs> and well, actually, my parenting style did not change. You know, I did not right I've right had a lot of purity culture parenting, but yeah, just like oh, we don't go to church anymore. Suddenly we get, you know, pancakes on Saturday and waffles on Sunday now. I love this so much. Oh my God. Yeah. So like that transition and, and even I, it's funny, like purity culture wise, it is like, yeah. Cause I, you know, personally in my own personal, I think very sex positive and body positive. But then when I think about my kids, like there is this, like, okay, what do I teach them now? Like, <laughs> right. Right. Like, well, and then there's these evangelical sermons in your head, like, oh, it's going to be a sexual free for all. If you don't put any boundaries up, like I you, like you, right. it's a very strange, like I, I know how to grapple with this as an adult. Mm-hmm. I don't mm-hmm. know yet. And I'll figure it out how to give my tool, my, my kids, the tools to grapple with it right. as adolescents, because that mm-hmm. is not my experience at all. It was an experience that was, was taken from me in a lot of ways. I think a lot of the things we talk about are things that, you know, mentally healthy people should be figuring out in like their late teens, early Mm twenties. But, you know, that's not been, you know, our experience. And so how parenting children is, and especially like imparting to them healthy sexuality is, uh, I think it's going to be a unique challenge for, for our generation in the yeah. sense that, you know, we are, it is, it is territory that we never had even an inkling of um, mm-hmm. how to do. And so mm-hmm. it's a lot of instinct, a lot of figuring out a lot of, you know, right. Googling, Googling resources or like calling an atheist friend. Like what did your parents do? Like, <laughs> they, they probably did something right. <laughs> um, That's so good. Oh my gosh. I mean, I think for me, like the thing that I've kind of decided on is I'm like, for me, again, you don't have, nobody has to do this. I like keep pads, tampons, everything like in this cute little container that I got from Target, like out in the open, like, and I'm just like, this is what we're doing with condoms also. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I have two people who will need to use those. Like they're just going to be around. Not because I'm like, I want you to use this. It's because like, if shit goes down, like I need you to know that this is the thing that you have to do before. <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, yeah. okay, time out. Hold on. I need to run to the bathroom really quick. Cause my mom keeps the condoms in there. Yeah. <laughs> and again, like I want my kids to be having like sexual experiences that are consensual of their own volition. If that's what they want in my house versus like, I don't know, a car, a park, like what the fuck? <laughs> yeah. Some not safe place. Some not safe place. Right. And, and and honestly, like my biggest fear about my kids' sexuality is that they will they will have sex with someone who has like consensual sex with someone who has fundamentalist parents who then come after my child. Wow. Like that's my biggest concern. It's not, it's not like oh you have to be a virgin. Like that's not even a real thing. 
for like, oh, you're really going to regret it or you're going to get an ST or whatever, whatever, you know, whatever the, the lines are that we got. Like my, my sincerely, my biggest concern is like, if my kid has sex with someone who has evangelical parents, like they're probably going to try to prosecute my child, mm-hmm. <laughs> even if it's like, and, and again, like age range making sure you're doing things legally. Like, you know, I like, you do need to be above board all the time. Right. Because that's, that's just how that's going to work for you. Cause it's like at a certain point, like individuals can't, can't consent if there's too big of a power differential, but yeah, like my, honestly, my biggest concern is, is that my child will have, have sex with someone who has evangelical parents. Yeah. And, and and those are real consequences. I, I I knew someone who went to prison for three years for he was 18. And I think she was 16, 17. I think it was 16. So not terrible age range, but just are along right. the lines. He went to jail for three years. Again, same thing, like, you know, just parents really got in and he was already, you know, he'd already like shoplifted and stuff. And so like there was already had a record. Um, That's what put him away. And he was on the sex offender list for like 15 years or so. Jesus Christ. Like, which, you know, obviously like what he did legally was wrong. Sure. But like the sex offender list doesn't like discriminate or have like asterisks as to like, right. this is what you did. It's not as bad. Like I wasn't, I wasn't preying on a child. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, this is something right. I did like when I was a child, it just, right. you know, like, exactly, so, exactly. And, and I know other stories like that as well, where it's like, you know, this has yeah. real consequences, you know? So certainly it's, it is sad to me that you have to teach your kids, obviously the, the good things and how to have safe sex, but also the, like, know who you're getting involved with and what their parents are like, because that shit can get messy and that's, and that's unfortunate, but you know, that's, that's human relationships too. And that's, you know, I think, I think that we, I think in, in having basically, you know, all you have to shut all that down to like not have to deal with that mess. I think it stunted a lot of our emotional and relational development Mm -hmm. because we don't have to deal with those complex relational realities. And so, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that the one other thing that's so, so strange to me about, about purity culture and evangelicalism specifically, and I know that I, you know, I've brought this up probably several times at this point, but just the fact that like evangelicals expect you to like, if you have any kind of sexual urge and you are not married to someone of the opposite sex, you're just, it's like, you have to shut that down. Mm-hmm. That's like, that's, that's what that comes down to. However, if you are a person who is exploiting the poor, well, that's just human nature. Like, or really? That's, or that's just the way the world works, even. Like, uh-huh. that's just, uh-huh. that's, how okay. God, that's how God did it. <laughs> yeah, God did a capitalism, you guys. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it is. It It is fascinating to me that that sex is the one that, yeah, the expectation is like, you will not do this. Right. Whereas even things as innocent as like little white lies or, you know, like that's just expected that, oh yeah, you're going to, you're going to do that and that'll forgive you, you know, or, you know, getting into fights, being violent, like, you know, that's uh, okay. Well, the boys will be boys. Uh You know, that's, you know, that's good for you because that teaches you how to be tough. You know, there's all kinds of those excuses, you know, but yeah, when it comes to sex, it's like, you have to tamp that down forever, you know, or tamp it down completely. And mm-hmm. then on your mm-hmm. wedding night, you can just let loose, let that freak flag fly. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, and, that, and that's how it's that I remember like being it being like, you know, told to us like that, like, oh, yeah, you can yeah. Just let go. Like, it's like no, let no, all that go. Like, no, like that's another human being like who's like might not be into your freak flag just yet because. <laughs> You know, like I don't know I, you. I, I am. I am not. Yeah, I barely know you. Um, but well, it, but even like, like I remember being, you know, very tired at the end of my wedding day. It's just like, and I mean, I definitely rose to the occasion happily, but it's just like, this is a tiring day. Like I, I kind of yeah. want a nap. Right. Exactly. <laughs> I kind of want to take a nap. Like this. Oh this. This is the. This is. You know, this is like supposed to be the moment I'm waiting for, and I just want to go to bed. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Yeah, and, and so it, it it is like 
that kind of culture or mentality, I think is, is um, it is fascinating that, yeah, we've singled out sex and we've singled out sexuality and, and even like divorce. Like I, I, you know, occasionally I think back to the ridiculous conversations I had about LGBTQ people with evangelicals mm. mm-hmm. and, you know, it is very much like, you know, God has made it clear. Like we do not, we do not allow that. And I'm like, you guys, like you, you know, like on this board, these people that are questioning me, half of you are divorced and remarried and we don't really have a problem with that, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, that was then, this is now. Okay. Why, why are, why can't we move on that? And and so I think, I think in trying to develop a healthy sexuality after that, I think realizing that we have been fed so much nonsense Mm -hmm. that it is going to take time and curiosity and experimentation and mm-hmm. and really sitting with yourself and figuring out like what what am i and and who am i and i i like and i've, I've said this many times and i will continue to 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 preach this if i can preach like the process after deconstruction i've discovered is one of rediscovery yeah you know deconstruction i think is a necessary process but i i, I don't think reconstruction is the point certainly Right. But I do think it's rediscovery. It's it's like we're we're mm-hmm. peeling back these layers, this like weird parking lot that was built on our humanity. Right. And it's like, oh, this is under there. Oh wow, this was there the whole time. Like, oh, huh. That's interesting. And I think engaging in that curiosity of understanding and figuring out who you are, you know. And I mean, there are people that and we we talk, you know, because both you and I are people that enjoy sex and sexuality. There are plenty of people that also find out they're asexual mm-hmm. or people that find out they're demisexual or whatever. Like, and I don't think that there is a, I'm not putting a, a um, value on whatever you discover. Right. <laughs> but I think yeah. you're just not allowed to discover any of that. Uh-huh. You know, um, I think mm-hmm. the people that are ace are, you know, they, they are pressured to perform on the wedding night just as much as anybody else. You know, they may have been able to wait. It may have been easier for them to wait, but then all of a sudden they find out, oh, why it was easy for me to wait. Oh, uh-huh. oops yeah um yeah you know and that that's an issue too right so I think giving yourself that space and that curiosity to discover mm-hmm. what you what is under there and you know that to me is the beginnings of developing a healthy sexual ethic outside of this mess I completely agree you know we will obviously continue to talk about this because it's something that it's interesting and fascinating to me and I think you know as as millennials and gen z continue to become more vocal and hopefully gain more power <laughs> um, no we hate power no yeah, power like for anybody more personal more, autonomy more more political and cultural influence i should say <laughs> the way things are done um, sorry i'm weird yeah sorry we, we don't want to take Just, any, yeah having having more say any, yeah having more say in in how families are structured how the tax code is structured to mm-hmm. you know help with you know various different arrangements of people i i think it's going to be interesting because I, I we we were part of the culture of really doubling down on purity you know like people that were raised and came to sexual maturity in the 1960s, and even the 1950s did not get it to the same degree that we did. Yeah. And so I think we are the, the final, the final form of purity culture. <laughs> oh, no. And, and what we're able to make afterwards, I'm hoping is something that is um, certainly better for a much wider group of people. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So if you want to catch us um, in places other than the podcast, uh, we have an Instagram and a Twitter at Go Home Bible. My Twitter is Justin D. Gentry. Tori is at Tori Glass on all the things. Also, if you are someone who is a pastor or former pastor and is struggling to figure out uh, how everything f- works for you now <laughs> that you're not a professional Christian. Uh, a friend of mine and I, uh, the Reverend Sarah Heath have started a podcast called Rev Covery, um, specifically to kind of talk about these issues. It's a different feel from go home Bible. You're drunk for sure. Uh, <laughs> but it is less abortion jokes. There what are is probably, <laughs> I mean, I don't know. We've just started. We could, that's fair. You know, we could, turn into an abortion joke podcast but 
I'm thinking that it's going to be more geared towards helping you develop those life skills. Cause I think a lot of us are, we're good at church and that's why we ended up at church and we're mm-hmm. not good anywhere else. And I, uh, hopefully that'll be something that helps you out. If you want to support this podcast, you can go to our Patreon, patreon.com slash go home Bible and check out all that stuff. Anything else to plug Tori? I don't think so. I think that's all, right. all the things. All right. Thanks, my friends. Have delightful consensual sex or not this week and enjoy yourselves. Bye. Corinthians warned you about the women with a loud mouth and this podcast is just that. Here at the Speaking in Church podcast we talk all about the regular people and the things that regularly happen to them in the evangelical church. It's a podcast about change, it's a podcast about seeking moral high ground, and it's a podcast for people who are just trying to deconstruct on the safe side. You can listen wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want to be a guest, yes, you, regular person, you can be a guest on the Speaking in Church podcast. If you want to come on, just let us know.